Amen. You can be seated this morning. <clears throat> but as you're being seated, I wish you'd just lift up your praise and worship for a moment to the Lord. Come on, just lift your hands right now and lift him up. Let's put the focus on him right now. Lord, we love you. We love you, and we're here to meet you today, God. We want to talk with you. We want to walk with you. We want to speak to you, God. We want you to speak to us. Amen. We want to see in your word what changes need to be made in our lives, God. Teach us. Show us what we need to see, God. Tell us what we need to hear. Amen. Our ears are open. Our minds are open. And we want you to ingrain your mighty word in our minds. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Were well, you glad to be here this morning? You ought to be glad to be here this morning. Amen. Any opportunity you had to be with the people of God and to study the word of God, be in the house of God, you're a blessed person. And that's what we're going to do. If you would, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. Of course, this is also in your bulletin. Um, I do want to say, uh, while I've got an opportunity, that um, somebody came to me, uh, I believe it was last week, asking about how you can hear or see services that have already taken place or see them live. And so I want to just shortly, if I can, explain this so everybody knows where you can go. You can go on YouTube and look up our church page. You just type in New Life Christian Center Rector, and it should come up. And there are archives of services way back. You can go and you can go all the way back to when Brother Morgan preached here and you hear that message. Even anniversary services when Brother Hamby preached, those are, those are in there. Uh, and so you can watch a full service on YouTube. You can watch it live if you're sick or, or something of that nature. Also, uh, we have a podcast. Now, if you don't know what a podcast is, it's just audio. And so we have all of the sermon audio, including this lesson that you're hearing right now, archived in a podcast. So all you've got to do, if you've got a phone, get on the app store or whatever you get your apps on and type in podcasts. And we're on about five different podcasting services. So you just find one and type in our church name. And then all these sermon titles are going to pop up. And you can download them. You can listen to them going down the road. You can listen to them before you go to bed or something like that. If you need to hear something again or if you miss something, it's all on there. If you enjoyed Brother Taylor's message Sunday night, you can go back and hear that. And so that, that's something that maybe you can take advantage of. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 28. We've got several scriptures to read here, but I want you to pay attention to what's being said and the context that it's in. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 28. It says, Then King David answered and said, Call me Bathsheba. And she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king sware and said, As the Lord liveth that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, thy son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the earth and did reverence to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. And King David said, Call me Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. And they came before the king and the king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your lord and cause Solomon my son to ride upon mine own mule. And bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him there, king over Israel. And blow ye with the trumpet and say, God save King Solomon. Then ye shall come up after him, that he may come and sit upon my throne. For he shall be king in my stead, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen, the Lord God of my lord the king say so too. As the Lord hath been with my lord the king, even so be he with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada and the Cherethites 
And the Pelethites went down and caused Solomon to ride upon King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. And Zadok the priest took a horn of oil out of the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the trumpet and all the people said, God save King Solomon. And all the people came up after him and the people piped with pipes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth rent with the sound of him. We've come through the entirety almost of David's story, lesson after lesson here. And today we're going to observe this awkward time in which David passed the throne on to another. Oh, what strange things can happen in transition. And they did. And so there's one more lesson that we're going to have next Sunday talking about the story of David and how it relates to leadership in the church. But today we're going to talk about leadership and transition. Because a great transition was taking place. You get that David was the highly revered king of Israel. People loved him. He was a king to top all kings for the nation. But now somebody else has to take the throne. And what an awkward moment that is. In the summer of 2018... You may remember this. There were 12 teenage soccer players that were on an outing with their coach and they were exploring the caves in Thailand. And as they hiked farther and farther into the caves, they discovered the waters were rising and they found themselves trapped. New outlets, news outlets around the world covered this situation. You probably uh, heard it on the radio, seen it in a paper or something. It was on CNN, Fox News, and they were all telling everyone about the divers involved in the rescue and the treacherous conditions, the fast-moving water coming through the cave, and they were passing through narrow passages to try to get to all of these teenage soccer players, the entire team. And as the waters began to rise, due to the rain, the amount of air in the cave was now an even greater concern. Are they gonna be able to breathe a whole lot longer? And the only way out they discovered was gonna to have to be, they're gonna to have to die. They're gonna to have to dive in the water and they're gonna to have to swim their way out. And so expert divers were sent in to go in and teach these young men how to dive in order to save their own life. And only a few at a time could get in a single file kind of line to get out of this narrow passage. And at one point, rescuers held the oxygen tanks ahead of the boys as they swam, holding the air that they were breathing so that they could get out. And though the unrelenting efforts of the rescue mission and expert divers, every one of these boys were safely rescued. And it was two weeks after they were first trapped in the cave. Two weeks, they stayed in this flooding cave and the air was just beginning to disappear. In two weeks, they learned how to dive and save their own life. And it would probably be interesting to feel what the soccer coach's emotions were. Situations may rise in which a leader doesn't have an answer. I can't explain why this has happened. I don't know how we're going to be able to make it. But the only way to get through something like that is for a leader to be patient and to trust God and to believe that you're in the will of God and let Him give you direction. We've talked about already how leaders are not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Now, if you are perfect, please let me know because I want to get into investment business with you before this service is over. But nobody's perfect. Not even leaders. And we all make mistakes. Everybody does. And there's challenging moments for everybody. Everybody goes through struggles. You got your own challenges different from every other person that's sitting on a pew in this room today. And a leader has those struggles too. You got to trust God. Some children uh, grew up playing with G.I. Joe dolls. Anybody, is there any men that ever had any G.I. Joes? 
Brother Wayne. I remember uh, going to my grandmother's house, and you know, now they're all dressed up and cool. But it used to be they would have, like they were going into battle, you know, is the, actually the, the type of stuff they would have. And uh, I went to my grandmother's house, and she's got a box, just a great big old box full of the G.I. Joes that my dad had. And I got to get them out, you know, when I was younger and kind of look at everything he had. He had a big old tent, you know, a, a Jeep or a Humvee, you know, and, and all this different stuff and, and how things changed. And, and a lot of uh, boys, when I, when I was a young man, they would uh, have Batman action figures, you know. And, and there's this idea that nobody could ever replace Bruce Wayne as Batman. There's nobody. And the man's not going to live longer than an average life, you know. And so somebody's going to have to replace him. Well, nobody can replace Bruce Wayne. And to suggest anything otherwise would be a joke to a young man that's very invested in Batman. But uh, leadership passes away. And somebody's got to take hold of the leadership and the Lord raises up other men in the places of ones that pass away and we can't get this idea in our minds that this leader was so great that anybody that could come after him is not going to do the trick we can't have that mindset because the right mindset to have is to revere the man of God that's been placed in your life but understand that it's the power of God by which he functions. And if the power of God is on a person, it's no longer about the person anymore. They're empowered by God, including leaders. A pastor's life is entwined with the lives of church members. They worship together. They fellowship together. They're in hospital rooms together. They're at baby dedications together, marriage ceremonies together, and even sometimes funerals together. Travel to camp meeting, to a youth rally, ups and downs, the pastor is entwined with your life in some way, shape, or form. And as pastors age, church members continue to honor them. And you remember different things that took place. We had Pastor Appreciation Day here you might recall I mentioned uh, there was a time when pastor accidentally, completely accidentally wore his house shoes to church and with his suit and didn't realize it until somebody that was in service just happened to see that he was wearing the house shoes, you know. And you remember all these different events that took place. I remember uh, I was looking through some old pictures the other day. They're not really old, but that day that we uh, presented the church bus and all the beautiful pictures that was taken during all that, uh, you remember all of these things and you revered the person that God's placed in your life. And at times we might be surprised by a pastor that we've had for a long time who's no longer a young man that preaches like a young man. And I think that we can all agree that it seems like here lately, just in my opinion, he's in his prime. I mean, we ought to be thankful that God is speaking to him in the way that he is and he's listening and obeying what God has said. Are you glad you got a pastor that obeys the Lord? Amen. Amen. And it don't really matter what age you are. If you can just obey God, great things can happen. And uh, elder pastors still feel the anointing of the Lord, but the same voice that speaks powerful sermons into the heart of an aging pastor may begin to prepare that pastor for a transition. And neither the church nor the pastor may truly feel ready for something like that, but change has got to occur because there's a time and a season for everything, the Bible says, and sometimes there's got to be a transition. Now, we're talking about transition this morning. I want you to understand that I'm not teaching this 
to prepare you for a big transition like pastor's about to leave. So let me get that out of the way. People's like, oh, God. What's he, why is he teaching this, you know? Settle down. It's all right. This is biblical, and you need to hear it because there is going to be a day. You only live so long. <laughs> and there will at some point be a transition. And sometimes God orchestrates necessary change that we don't completely understand, but the change benefits his kingdom. And you may not feel right about it. You may not completely agree with it, but it agrees with the Holy Ghost. And that's all that matters. God has his own plan and his own ways that are outside of what we think. And he's going to have his plan. Now, in the scriptures that we've read, we know we talked about that Adonijah had declared himself to be king. And David was entering the final stages of his life, and his son Adonijah had prepared to become the new king. He just assumed that it's my throne now. The king has not talked to him about it. He's not shared his actual plan with anybody. But Adonijah says, oh, I know what the plan ought to be. I want the throne, you know. And so he's trying to arrange things in such a way where that's going to happen. And after the deaths of his brothers Amnon and Absalom, he viewed himself as being rightful to that throne. And he sought political connections and people who would be on his side when he decided to try to step in. And Adonijah did not have the support of everybody in the kingdom. Most importantly, God had not sanctioned his rule as king. And this is the deal here. We already know that the only reason Saul had a chance at being king is because God made it possible. The only reason David could be king is because God made it possible. Why should Adonijah think that he's going to be king unless God makes it possible? And he had not. And many people are lost between the anointing and the assignment. What you think you're called to and you ought to be doing and the anointing to be able to do it. You may feel called to something and God will call people. But if you don't have his anointing to do that, it's not time yet. And you may have the anointing you feel like God's placed anointing upon you. Maybe he has. And you want to step into something you feel like is your calling. But God has not called you to do it. Either way it's wrong. When God calls somebody he anoints them to be able to do it. He empowers them to be able to do it. That's the anointing of God. And so he's not going to leave you to do something without his own help. And Adonijah did not have that. And so we see that Nathan spoke up before it completely got out of control and they had a, a huge mess on their hands. The prophet Nathan sprang into action. And as a young prophet, Nathan had found himself confronting David about his sin with Bathsheba. And although David had sinned, the prophet still recognized David. He was the king. God had anointed him king. And so he was respectful. But when Nathan had rebuked David for his adultery with Bathsheba, Nathan likely had no idea that David and Bathsheba would one day have a son whom God would choose to sit on the throne. Now let me step back for a minute here. Out of sin... Out of an evil act between David and Bathsheba, something good still came. The parents sinned. It was rebuked by the prophet. It was not looked upon as a righteous act. They were told straight up, you did wrong. But that doesn't mean that now you are so destroyed that nothing good can come out of your life. People mess up. But that's not the end of the road. People sin. That doesn't mean they're never going to be used by God again. People make bad choices. 
that doesn't mean they'll never make a good choice again. And we need to understand this today. David messed up. He messed up many times. But a mistake doesn't have to be a casualty. We all mess up. At different times in our lives. There's a newsflash. You can be 90 years old and still have to repent because you messed up. That don't mean that's the end of it. I'm on backslide and boy, I've done it now. No, no, no. You don't, you don't get the point. That's when you trust in God. That's the reason David made it as far as he did. He messed up, but he always turned back to God. Matter of fact, let me deal with something real quickly today. There are people in this church that sin. There are people in this church that are struggling with sin right now. I'm not here to call people out or something like that. That's not my goal. I'm just telling you, we all struggle with sin. And the people who struggle with sin, some of you, maybe, maybe you think they ought to split hell wide open for what they're dealing with. And we get this kind of a thought process in us that, you know, that's just horrible and I would never do that. And somebody needs to deal with that. But you know what? You need to leave them alone and let the grace of God work in their life. Amen. And they're just starting out. They don't know everything about living for God. That's okay. The Lord's all right with that too because He's busy working on it. And why should I beat them over the head and get all over them about what they're dealing with when I'm already in the midst of sin trying to judge them? Let God work on them. God can do more in one minute than we can do chastising them. Hallelujah. People deal with stuff. People deal with stuff. And we all deal with sin. But we don't produce perfect people here. We produce disciples. Amen. Our goal, God never said, go out and make perfect people. He said, go forth and make disciples. You know, there's disciples that messed up. They were still used of God. We produce disciples. And so Nathan leaves and he goes to warn Bathsheba. And uh, in his previous dealings with David, he had learned that he had to kind of be shrewd in what he did because David was smart and sometimes he did wrong. And so you got to handle this the right way. Rather than directly confronting the king about his sin with Bathsheba, Nathan had told the king a parable that smote his heart and led to his repentance. You can go back and read it. And now Nathan focused his attention on getting Bathsheba to speak to the king. She had the king's ear at this point, and she needed to act in order to preserve her life and the life of her son Solomon. Because you understand, we've talked about this before, if somebody else takes the throne, they're getting ready to take it, and you're part of the family, you just became a target. This is still true today. If you pay attention to the news, and, and you've read anything about like the situation in North Korea, this young man that's taken the throne, oh, he worked to get there because uh, he made sure that there was nobody else in his family that was alive that would be able to try to get it. And so this is something that still lives on today. You're going to be the king. You've got to take down anybody that might get in the way. This is true in our politics, even in America. And so this is what's happening right now. Bathsheba, if, if Adonijah takes the throne, Bathsheba's probably... Her head's going to roll. And not only that, but Solomon, his head's going to roll because nobody can interfere with the throne of Adonijah. And so Bathsheba is going to speak to David and try to convince him to make Solomon the king. And Bathsheba and Nathan feared the new monarchy would just wipe out everybody. Even Nathan perhaps would be killed, the prophet, because you're not on the side of this Adonijah. And so she reminded David of the promise he had made to her. And she said, My Lord, thou swearest by the Lord thy God unto thine handmaid, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah reigneth. And now, my Lord the king, thou knowest it not, 
and he hath slain oxen and fat cattle and sheep in abundance and hath called all the sons of the king and Abiathar the priest and Joab the captain of the host. But Solomon, thy servant, hath he not called. And she pleaded with David to help him realize the seriousness of the situation. And she says, and thou, my Lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are upon thee that thou shouldest tell them who shall sit on the throne of my Lord the king after him. Otherwise it shall come to pass when my Lord the king shall sleep with his fathers, pass away, that I and my son Solomon shall be counted offenders. In other words, they're going to kill us. Not always in the middle of a transition is this necessary. But sometimes, sometimes when there's a transition happening, particularly in a church, it's a good time for a saint to come alongside pastor and say, I support you. I support you and everything that you told me. She repeated his own words to her. That, you know, David is, is a type of a pastor in this scripture. And if you've been taught and it's been preached to you and you can use that in such a way to uplift the man of God in your life, you ought to do it. If there's some way you can uplift him in any way, you ought to do it. And this is what she was doing. She's trying to show him what was going on in such a way that still gave respect to him. And so she had made her case and Nathan now counseled David and was explaining to him also the situation. And as a result of all this, David called Bathsheba and he reaffirmed his promise that Solomon would be king. And he says, as the Lord liveth that hath redeemed my soul out of all distress, <clears throat> even as I swear unto thee by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon thy son shall reign after me, and he shall sit upon my throne in my stead. Even so will I certainly do this day. <coughs> Today was the day that David would pass on the throne to Solomon. Not only had she made her case, but he had made the decision, it's going to happen today. Today is the day that it'll happen. And the promise was not in doubt it was surely going to happen. And we got to seek God's will in times of transition. Outside of talking about church transition, maybe you have or you're going through a transition in your life. The best thing that you can do is seek the will of God for that transition. I'm not talking about what feels right. Because people can go after what feels right and it be so far from the will of God. We're, we're living in a society where we like to talk about our feelings and, you know, what I feel. And, but in the midst of all of that, somewhere is the will of God. <clears throat> and that's all that matters, right? Sometimes God will make you feel his will, but just because you have a feeling does not mean it's the will of God. And so you have to find the will of God. And it's, it, it may sometimes seem obvious. And we may look at a situation and want to proclaim that we have found the will of God. When really we have not. There was, I'm going to tell you a story today. Uh, there was a fellow one time, I believe this is when I was not youth president, but before that I was youth secretary. And uh, I was, I served in that position for a couple of years. And at the time, I believe Sister Kirsten and I were uh, fiancé. And so I'm going to these youth rallies and I'm a part of it, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm sort of serving the youth president that was above me in, in anything that needed done. And I was at this service somewhere north, south, east, and west of here. And uh, <clears throat> it was a packed house and we had really good church, you know. And here come this fellow that was a, a minister that proclaimed that Sister Kirsten was right for him. 
And not only that, this young man brought her to the side and told her that it's the will of God that we're to be together. Now what he did not account for is that her dad was in the room. What she, he did also not account for is I can drop my kind demeanor real quick. And so, <clears throat> once I heard tell of this, somebody came up to me and said, Brother, I just want you to know that there's a man back there that is, I don't know if he's trying to operate in the gifts or what he's doing, but he's letting your fiancé know that they're meant to be together. And I said, really? Really? And I've got to confess that I left any type of ministerial ethics behind when I heard that. And I went looking for him, but my soon-to-be father-in-law got a hold of me and said, I don't want you to do something you're going to regret, so let me deal with this. He's not afraid to do something you regret later. And so, and so he, he you just stay right here and let me deal with it. And he took the young man out out the front door and around the side of the building and explained a few things to him. You know what I mean? I've not seen the young man since, thank the Lord. But, you know, we get, oh, we, you know, I feel this is the will of God. And a lot of times somebody who is so quick to proclaim that doesn't have enough anointing to blow fuzz off a peach. And so he was clearly wrong. And uh, we get this idea, we get this idea that, you know, sometimes, well, we know the will of God. We, we, this is the will of God for our life. And we just step into it, you know, and, and don't even give much time in prayer to, to really talk it through with God and allow him to impress you any other way. I was in a service just recently somewhere where uh, somebody gave forth tongues. And it was not here, but I, I'm standing in the pulpit attempting to close the service for somebody. And all of a sudden the Holy Ghost starts kind of sweeping in and somebody gave forth tongues. And, uh, you know, there's that moment where everybody's praying and, and that God would give the interpretation. And then all of a sudden somebody else, a different person, starts speaking tongues in the back, but... It's not the same. It was an evil, angry voice. I'm talking about just almost a growl, a yell. And, uh, you know, there's, it's difficult gauging how to deal with something like this. It was clearly not of God. It was evil. And uh, so you could completely stump the spirit doing what it wants to if you don't handle that right. And so I'm, I'm standing here in somebody else's pulpit and you got to be careful how you deal with that. And all of a sudden, this, this man that's doing this has just started pacing. And he's still doing it. And so I'm, I'm, I just kind of look up and look over at him. And there's just this angry, evil demeanor about him. It's like he's yelling it at somebody. Pacing. And I'm like, I don't know what this guy's about to do. But, you know, the pastor's here and he can deal with it. And, uh, and I, I interrupted it. Thank God with an interpretation. And thank the Lord for that and it ended it. But somebody can think that they're in the will of God and they are so far from it. You understand what I'm saying? The interpretation was not an angry interpretation. The interpretation was not a rebuke in the type of voice that this person had. They were far away from the will of God, but boy, they were confident doing it. You can kind of get to a place like that. That's why it's so good. It's so good not only to listen to the voice of God and talk these things over with God, but it's also good to have counsel with a man of God. 
You can make a lot of bad decisions because you automatically deem something the will of God but didn't even talk it over with the man of God. Give yourself a fail-safe. Go, go by the structure of God. Amen. And so, Abiathar, you know, either, well, I've got, or Adonijah, I've got the will of God, you know, it's, and I'm going to take the throne. And all of this is taking place, and to many outside observers, Adonijah may have appeared the logical choice. This is the guy for the job. He likely had some gifts that would help him rule the kingdom. Some people thought so. They, they were behind him. And he could certainly look to good parts of his father's life and emulate what he did. But the Lord, however, had not chosen him to be king. That's the ultimate thing here. He was not supposed to be king. And the situation brings to mind David's journey to the throne. There were people that were so confident Saul needs to be our king. He stands head and shoulders above all the rest. He fills the role. But then when you look at the fruits, I'm talking about when there's a tall adversary by the name of Goliath, we don't see Saul stepping into battle. We see a young man that didn't appear to be the one but he was confident enough in the will of God and he had found the will of God that he was able to step into the will of God. And now here we are again. There's somebody who thinks, you know, that they feel the role that is the, it's the will of God for them, but it's nowhere near that. Saul should have fought the giant Goliath, but he didn't. God not only gave David victory, but he also bestowed his anointing on David. And when Samuel wanted to anoint one of the older brothers, David, remember we read this weeks ago, the Lord helped the prophet see things in a, in a different light. And God told Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. It's not the will of God. It's not my will. <coughs> For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We look on, do they fit the role? Do they, does it look like it's the will of God? But we don't see everything that God sees. We don't know the real will of God. Some members of David's own entourage did not even understand the will of God. David's general, Joab, supported Adonijah and wanted him to be on the throne. And his failure to bolster Solomon's claim would ultimately lead to his death at the hands of Benaiah. The priest, Abiathar, also backed Adonijah. And even though he was a man of God, Abiathar did not truly know the will of God. He had not found it. And you know what it resulted with? He ended up being banished to his home and his ministry essentially dissipated because he was so confident this is the will of God. It's a dangerous thing to claim something as the will of God and then to follow through with that when it never was. It's dangerous, dangerous territory. And there's always transition going on in our world. There's transition in people's lives. There's transition in churches. Uh, some people in churches, they lose a pastor whether it's by death or God calls them elsewhere. And they get so bent out of shape at the loss of a man. And there's a problem here in all this because even though it's disappointing, our relationship with God does not depend on a man. You hear me this morning? It cannot depend upon a man. No matter how powerful or anointed they are. Let me ask you a question. I like what Brother Taylor was saying the other day. He told the guys, if I leave and I backslide and I don't have anything to do with God, what are you going to do? If you lose the man of God in your life, let me ask you this morning, what are you going to do? Are you just going to follow him? 
Are you going to back out? How committed are you? I hope you're not committed to a man today. And I'm not, I'm not moving out of the picture reverence for the man of God. We need that. But what are you doing this for? Why are you here this morning? Who are you committed to really? It cannot be a man. We've got to serve God for God. Nobody else. No other reason. Not for the man he sins. Not for the music the church has. Not for the beauty of the church. But just because he's God. That's enough. It ought to be enough. Amen. And so David declares Solomon to be king. Finally. Amen. And Benaiah would show the importance of honoring and respecting the elder king while being excited about the prospects of a new king. When David proclaimed that Solomon would succeed him as the king of Israel, Benaiah stated, Amen, the Lord God of my Lord, the king say so too. As the Lord hath been with my Lord the king, even so be he with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. He had reverence for the past, but he had greater expectation for the future. I want to deal with this too this morning. We've got a great past in Pentecost. It goes all the way to the book of Acts. It goes back to the Azusa Street Revival. Tent revivals with Brother Gray. And we revere that. We love that. I love hearing the stories about it. I want to hear them. I read about them. But I don't let that get a grip hold on my expectation of right now and what God's going to do. You hear me today? The past is not greater than what God's going to do. The revivals of the past aren't going to be able to hold a candle if we really believe the Word of God like what it says to what He's going to do. Even right here. How about this? This church has not even seen its best days yet. Somebody ought to say amen this morning. We've not seen the kind of revival that God's going to do yet. We've not seen the families come in that God wants to bring in, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Amen. And we thank God for what already has happened in the men that have come. The men we've got, but it's just going to get better. The song says, sweeter, sweeter, sweeter as the days go by. Amen. It's going to get better, folks. God's going to do even greater things. Even greater things. And David stood and he felt grateful to the Lord. And he said this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which hath given one to sit on my throne this day, mine eyes even seeing it. David would not get to build the temple like he wanted to. We talked about that. But he would somehow, this is not the norm, get to see a man rise to the throne who would finally fulfill his dreams what we can do as a church is show support for the leadership God's put in our lives you can always do that you can always do that you say well I don't, I've heard this several times before but I come into church and I just don't feel nothing when you stir up the gift that's in you. You don't feel nothing. You don't feel like God's reaching out to you. Why does God always have to reach out to you? Why can't you reach out to God? Move Him with your own praise. There's always something you can do, but if you don't feel like crazy spiritual or something on a particular service or day, you can always uplift your pastor. You can always uplift the leadership. You don't know what, what he may be dealing with today. But there's transition. 
transition that happened in this story. Churches find themselves in transitions and they may need to seek the advice of outside counsel. Got to call a district official. Got to call another pastor, a wise elder. Got to fast and pray for what God wants. The unfortunate thing is today, what seems a lot more common, and I'm not afraid to talk about this, is that somebody don't agree with somebody else, and then before you know it, there's a church split. And that was never the intention of God. A church split is never the intention of God. God doesn't divide, He unites. And so if there's a uniting going on, chances are it's probably from God. And you go through a, a transition of pastorship. I've seen it in other churches. And somebody don't like what somebody else thinks. And there's an argument that springs forth and it blows out of proportion. Even young leaders, I've watched young men my age in other churches serving roles similar to my own who aspire someday to pastor at some point they need the support that can only come from a faithful church and godly saints wise counsel and they seek as they seek to change to move from another church or another or follow the will of God every party that's involved needs to desire the will of God not just well I like him better than him or you know, I feel better about doing this. No. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? Opinions and ideas come into play. It's only human to speculate and dream. But in the end, the will of God has to be done. Why? Because souls are at stake. I like what Brother Taylor said the other night. It's all about souls. Every bit of it has always been about souls. And so if you're experiencing a transition in your life, Sister April's not here, but I felt something the other day when we were leaving this service that we were in. And I hadn't talked to her yet, but I felt like maybe we were on the same wavelength. And I said, Sister April, there's a shifting taking place. There's a shifting that God is doing in multiple lives in this church and in this church itself. And we got to seek the will of God in the middle of all of it. We can't just be riding on our coattails of somebody else or, or just flying by the seat of our pants today. It's got to be find the will of God in prayer. You know you can find the will of God in prayer? You can find it. And there's a shifting. I believe there's a shifting that's taking place. And I don't want to be left by on the curb over here when the Holy Ghost is moving this way. I want to be on the train. I want to be in the middle of what God is doing. And a lot of that takes a focus on what is the will of God. I've seen and observed, as as if some of you in this room, where there will be a church, just for the sake of example, you may remember Brother Dixon pastoring in Corning. And he was almost like an uncle to me. First church I ever preached out at. And there was a day just out of the blue where he called and said, the Lord is moving me to pastor here. And I don't completely understand it. But I just know it's the will of God. He's made it very clear to me. I didn't understand it. I know for sure that church didn't understand it. He pastored there a long time, had revival. But that's the thing. Sometimes it doesn't look right completely in our eyes. But if it's the will of God, at some point, it's going to benefit his kingdom. What is your priority today? What's your priority? The benefit of self Or do I want to see this kingdom advance through all this earth like the scripture says it is? If it's going to do that, there's going to be some shifting. Some things are going to take place. People are going to move into new ministries. You're going to step into a new level of anointing in your life. 
if the shifting is going to have to take place. You're going to have to make a change. There's going to be a shift. But whatever that will of God is, we got to find it and step into it. We can't be idle. We can't step back and just kind of wait on everything to fall together. That's not the will of God. But neither is backing up and getting out of everything and going against it. Sometimes it's not comfortable. But you've got to step into the current and ride with it. Wherever the Holy Ghost is taking you. Could we stand this morning? I don't know where maybe the Spirit's taking you. But I do know this. God's got a plan for everybody. God's got a plan for everybody. And it's not just always singing or preaching. There's a diverse group of ministries that God uses people in. And I know this. He's got a plan for everybody in this room. There is a next step for everybody in this room. There's something that God is pushing you toward. And He's saying, come up higher. Come up higher. I want you up here. You've been doing real well right here. But there's something greater up here. Come up higher. I want you to take a moment and think about what that is. What is it that God wants to transition me to? What is it that I could step into the current that I feel like God's been moving in my life? What is that? Would you just ask God that right now? It may be different for you. It could be different for everybody. But God has something special He wants.